All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> Bradley made comment last Sunday morning about the clock, which if you really look, you can see it. You know, I, I think maybe he just wanted to go longer. But I, I have a little hard trouble seeing it, so, you know, if I go a little longer, you know. Anyway, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know, we know, that's a confident statement, a statement of assurance, that if our earthly house, that is this body, of this building, were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, we have a glorified body in the heavens, reserved for us. For in this, that is this body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we know these things by faith. We don't see them. Not something we can, we can stand and look at like I'm looking at Ryan and see a body and all that. No, it's something we believe because the Word of God tells us. So we believe it's going to happen, but we can't see it. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and whether rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Wherefore, in other words, because of this, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we command, command not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. You know, Eliab looked good by appearance. But God was looking for a man after his own heart. God looks at the heart. Man looks in the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. Verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. So the title of the message this afternoon is Motivation for Service. Motivation service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the good, your goodness to us in the land of the living. We thank you, Father, for your word and the encouragement that we receive from it. We thank you for its promises and that we can by faith see these things afar off, even as Abraham saw them afar off. And I pray that as we look into the word of God today, that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen us, for the service that you've expected of us, 
and help us just to be faithful servants. And then we might hear those words when we stand before you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider this passage this afternoon, it reminds us that this, what we have in this life, is my microphone on, uh, is just the beginning. There's so much more to come. In fact, this is just a wee, 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 wee little part of it. Because we're going to live in eternity somewhere. What's 70, 80, even 90 years when you think about eternity? It's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, And so there are some things here I want to notice this afternoon that ought to motivate us, ought to stir our hearts in service for the Lord, to remain faithful in his service. You know, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that. I want to notice three motivations. First of all, there's a motivation of hope, a motivation of hope. Uh, or that word hope means an expectation, uh, something we're expecting, that we expect of God. We, we, again, this is based upon faith because God has said it in, in uh, verses uh, uh, 1 through 4. says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tabernacle, were dissolved. So I know, according to the word of God, that if... if if this body dissolves, in other words, if it dies, it perishes. It's going to go into the ground, and it's going to, it's going to disintegrate. Worms, you know, Job said, after worms eat this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So we know that you know, when, you, when you bury somebody, put them in the ground, you know, if you bury something in the ground, maybe you buried a, maybe you had a dog or something that you buried in the backyard or you know, often if we shoot a deer, we dig a hole and bury the, the, the entails and all that, you know, the guts, and what we call the guts, and put it, put it out in the garden, dig a hole and put it in there. But, you know, you can plow up that garden in a few months and you won't find it. It's all dissolved. It's all dissolved. And that's kind of the idea here. This body is going to be dissolved, just the body. Not the soul, not the spirit. Man has a soul and spirit that is eternal. But if we know this body... This tabernacle, we're dissolved. We have a building that is a tabernacle or body of God, a house not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. You know, we groan in this one. And, and so this is our expectation. This is, this is based upon the eternal word of the living God. Uh, God has said it. God has a perfect reference. You know, the Bible says in Titus 2, 1, 2 that, God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know, Jesus often made references to these promises. He said in John 14, uh, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I will go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, God has a history of keeping his promises. You read through the Old Testament. In Isaiah 7:14, the prophet prophesied under the spirit by the spirit of God that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. And 700 years later, the virgin Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost and brought forth a son. And they called his name Emmanuel. 
Zechariah 9.9 says the king should come having salvation, riding upon the fool of an ass. In Matthew 22, Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding upon the fool of an ass and declared, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the king. Daniel 9.26 says that he would be cut off. And we know that in Matthew 26 or 27, he was crucified. He was cut off. Uh, Psalm 34 verse 20 said there'd be a not there'd not be a bone in him broken. Now usually when they crucified the uh, any the crucified criminals the Romans did they usually hastened their death by breaking their legs so they could not push up with their legs and get a breath of air, and so they'd suffocate rather quickly. Well, they came to Jesus that you know they were going to break the legs of these and they came to Jesus, but he was dead already. They break the legs of the others, but they didn't break his legs. Not a bone in him was broken. Of course, this is written again some seven, eight hundred years before it actually took place. Uh, Psalm sixteen, or Psalm Isaiah fifty-three says he would be buried with the rich, and of course he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, Psalm sixteen said sixteen ten says that he he would not leave uh, suffer his holy one to see corruption. And he was not left in a grave, but in the third day arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And so we have this, we have this motivation of hope, and we call it the blessed hope. The blessed hope. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the, the promise or the expectation of a new house, as it says here in Verses 1 through 4, we have a, this expectation of a new body, a glorified body. In 1 Corinthians 15, and verses 51 to 53, talks about this also. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. And so we have this expectation of a new house. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21 tells us that you know, this, this vile body shall be changed. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven. Whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to do all things unto himself. You know, the world likes to, they're fascinated with miraculous, you know, the, 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 with, um, how, what's the word I want? Supernatural things, you know, that things that appear supernatural. And the world just has a fascination for those kind of things, you know, the, Catholics deceive the world with, with, with different things they use to make it look supernatural, you know. And, and, and you got to read Revelation, and there's much of that. I mean, but, you know, think about this. This vile body is going to be changed like unto his glorious body. What's that glorious body like? Well, they were meeting in a closed-door room, and all of a sudden he just appears. Now, he wasn't a ghost, because last I knew, ghosts don't eat. He ate fish. He ate bread. They touched him, 
He said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger into my, into my hands and into my side. See it as I believe. Be not faithless, but believing. You know, they, they touched him. They, could, they felt him. John says, 1 John 1, he says, Whom we've touched, we've handled. Ghosts, you can't handle a ghost. So he wasn't a ghost, and yet he did, he did these miraculous things. We're going to have a body like that. An incorruptible body. An immortal body. One that's not susceptible to death. It's no more dying. You know, this body that I live in is dying. You know, I was reminded of that this week. You know, it's pretty bad when you go fishing for two days and your shoulder's sore from doing this too often. You know, there wasn't enough fish on it. Of course, if there had been fish on it more often, it might be sore. I don't know. But, but you know, I have a little trouble with this shoulder anyway. I, I can't hardly throw a ball anymore. But, but, you know, this shoulder was sore, and it was, you know, infecting some other things back there. But anyway, it, just from fishing, I mean, that's not work. Um, you know, what is it? it's getting older. It's dying. It's aging. Um, you know, Job said, though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So we have this expectation of a new house. New house. No more surgeries. You know, you, you ever think about a body that would never have to have surgery because uh, it would never get sick and it would never break? Wouldn't it be wonderful there? Um, we have a new home. Jesus talked about this in John 14. He says, I go to prepare a mansion for you. That's, a, that's a, an abode, a dwelling place. And, and you know, the word mansion is used to describe splendid, or splendid uh, castles uh, of those with titles. And as we looked this morning, we have a title. We are a royal priesthood, a, royal, a, 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 a uh, peculiar people, uh, a holy nation. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, you know, we're, we're going to have to patch drywall holes and, and uh, repair termite-eaten uh, lumber and, and all that kind of stuff in heaven. You know, it's, it's going to be a mansion. The Bible talks about it with streets of gold like transparent glass. And there's no night there. Now, I don't know, I don't know how yuns are. Maybe you're not afraid of the dark. I don't like darkness. I never did. Yeah, my dad, he talks about how he used to go coon hunting at night. And, you know, and, and, uh, and my cousin said go coon hunting at night. I didn't like going out at night, chasing dogs through the woods, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, unknown, there's a lot of unknowns in the night. I like to know where I'm putting my feet, especially in North Carolina. You know, I was reminded again, when we were up in Maine, I went and walked through the woods a little bit. And, and I had to keep reminding myself because there's ferns about this tall and there's a lot of undergrowth, so you really couldn't see where you're putting your feet. And I had to remind myself, I don't got to worry about snakes. There's no poisonous snakes in the state of Maine. I don't have to worry about it. If I walked in the woods of North Carolina, I'd worry about that all the time. Uh, but I don't have to worry about it there. You know, can you imagine walking? There be no, there won't be any night there. Um, all the, you know, night again, full of unknowns, and we shall know even as we are known. See, this is our Father's house. This is what He's going to prepare a place for us. And when this body is dissolved, we're going to be, we're going to be taken uh, to that place. And so we have this expectation, this, this hope. And, of course, 
this is, a, this is something that has been accomplished or achieved for us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, have, we have salvation. Notice in verse 5 he says, Now he that hath wrought, or worked through, or brought about, wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. So God has, God has prepared all these things for us who also hath given unto us the earnest. He's given us a little bit of a glimpse. You know, when you buy a house and you put a down payment on it. If you borrow money you put it, and you put a down payment on it and then you borrow the rest and you make payments, you know, the house really isn't yours yet. But that down payment assures as you make payments, that one day it will be yours. Until then, the bank holds the title. They hold the deed. You know, just as you would maybe a car, but, but they hold the deed. And if you stop payments, guess what? They take your house. You know why? Because it really is theirs until you pay it off. But see, God is the one who has given us this, and He holds the title to it, and He has given He has given us the earnest. He's paid the earnest also. He's paid it all. All to Him I owe. And so this is this is what we get uh, through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we have this motivation of hope. Secondly, we see here a motivation of fear. In verses 9 through 11, he says, Wherefore, we labor, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So, we see here, he says, we must all appear, for the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. You know, God is to be feared. He's to be reverenced. He's to be respected. Uh, Psalm 89, verses 6 and 7 says, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. And so we are to fear. That means we will, we will defer to his will in each situation, each circumstances. Uh, and, and see, the idea here is where it says in verse 9, Wherefore we labor, in other words, we serve God, that whether we're present with him, we go to be with him, or we're here until that time, we may be accepted, that is, be pleasing to him. The idea here is that, well, if we labor right and well, then God will accept us into heaven. That's not what that means. What it means is, we'll be pleasing. You know, just like an you know, a, 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 a employee or, or a son or a daughter who is, who is uh, working for their father, you know, and, and he, 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 you know, regardless of, of, of you know, how he does the job, he's still the employee, he's still the son or still the daughter. But... But we want to be pleasing in his sight. And so there's this fear. God's not to be, oh, well, he's just a man upstairs. You know, he really don't care how good of a job I do. Oh, yeah, he does. 
he has some expectations. We're to serve God with reverence and godly fear, the Bible says. There is a way that's pleasing and right in the sight of God. And so we need to, we need to serve God according to His commandments, according to His new. Not the way I want to do it, but the way He wants us to serve. You know, it is important how we serve God. Are we serving according to His will? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. And so, as we think about this motivation for fear, it's not a, a matter, this matter, it's not a, this judgment here is not a matter of whether we're saved or not. You know, we were judged for our sin at Calvary. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So we were, our sins were judged in Calvary. That's past. When we see Christ, our Lord and Savior, all our sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. But we are judged daily as sons. We were, one of the things we did on the way up to Maine and back was listen to Pilgrim's Progress. In one instance, Christian and Hopeful, on their journey to a celestial city, came upon a path that looked pleasant and better and easier. And, and so Christian encouraged and, and, and persuaded Hopeful, let's get on this path. And Hopeful wasn't so sure it was the right way, but it seemed okay, so he went along with it, and they, they get on this path. Well, the, the guy met him there. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Do you remember the guy's name? Anyway, that met him there and, and told him, you know, this is the path that leads to Celestia. I'm on my way to Celestial City also. And, and so he, he led them down this path. And Christian, you know, he was convinced that this would be okay. He led them down this path, this path, not very far, and they fell into a net trapped and then the other guy he disappeared and they were in this trapped and Christian you know he was just beside himself and so sorry that he led, led hopeful astray and so on and so forth and then came a shining one with a whip in his hand and he got them out of the net and brought them back to the path the right path to the celestial city, but then he had him lay down and he scourged them with the whip. What was he doing? He was chastening them because they went out of the way of the Lord. You know, God judges us as son. Hebrews 10 tells us, or Hebrews 12 tells us, that what child is whom the Lord chasteneth not? God chasteneth us with skunks, as sons and as daughters. But we are, but this judgment here is referred to is a judgment that is yet future where we're going to be judged as servants. If you notice in verse 10 again, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone receives things done in his body according to that done, whether it be good or bad. So you and I, as God's children, are going to be judged for our works. Whether our works are good or whether they're worthless. You know, probably we could say maybe this way, whether they were done under the direction of the Spirit of God, under the leading of the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, or whether they're done in the flesh. You know, we can do, we can do things that we think are service for the Lord and do them in the flesh. We can sing in the flesh. You can preach in the flesh. I heard a preacher, oh, he said a couple times that he preached some of his best messages in the flesh. I always wondered about that. I don't think he did. Maybe he thought they were the best. I don't know. But, 
But uh, nothing, anything done in the flesh is worthless. It's worthless. And, you know, 1 Corinthians, in fact, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I think it expounds, Paul expounds more upon this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 11 says, Further foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Christ is the foundation, and upon that foundation he's built the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2 tells us that. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort, or in other words, what quality it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, gold, silver, precious stones are metals that when fire is put to them, they are purified and made of greater value. You know, if you, if you, from what I understand of purifying silver, the, the uh, silversmith will heat the silver, and as he heats the silver, the dross, or the impurities, comes to the top, and he begins to spoon off the impurities until he has pure silver, and actually, they say, until he can see his image in it. And then that silver is made of greater, it is then of greater value than it was when he started. Because he put, and same thing is true of gold and precious stones. However, wood, hay, and stubble. You can take a pile of wood and you put fire to it, what do you got left? A little bit of ashes. You don't have as much as you started with. Same is true of hay and stubble. These things speak of those things which are done in the flesh. In other words, things that are bad. That word bad there really means worthless. They really have no value in the sight of God. Because they weren't done under the leading of the Holy Spirit or in obedience to the Word of God. They were done in the flesh. And so we have this motivation we ought to fear God. We ought to fear His commandments. That, that is, we ought to give reverence to His commandments. And what, how He says we are to serve Him, we ought to, we ought to defer to what he's, His plan, His purpose, and His program is, and not change it to suit ourselves. To make it appear a little more comfortable to the world. So that we can, what they say, win more people. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't you know, rein back his, his words speaking the truth. He always told the truth. He was straightforward. He spoke plainly. You know, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't make it easier to accept or change the message. Thus today, many want to change the message. As I mentioned this morning about you know, many just want to believe in Jesus. Forget the Lord part. Forget the Lordship part. That requires self-denial. No. And as, so as servants of Christ, we're going to be judged for whether our service is good, that is, it's according to the Scripture, or whether it's we did it our way. We did it what we thought was best. 
what we thought. A good illustration of this is David. You know, when David became king, he wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem, where he belonged. Hadn't been there in 20 years. And so he, he gets men together and priests together, and they have, a, they have a hoedown. I mean, they had a big shindig. They made much out of this bringing the ark to Jerusalem. And they got a brand new cart, an ox had never driven before. And they, and they put the ark, and they set it on this brand new cart that never hauled anything before. You know, it would have been like a new truck. It was out of scratch. And they put it on there, and boy, they thought this was just going to be great. And they begin to take this ark, which speaks of the presence of God, to Jerusalem. I mean, they thought this will be pleasing to God. However, Uzzah, the ark stumbled, and the ark rocked, and Uzzah, who was a priest, stuck out his hand to steady the ark, and God struck him dead. And the Bible says David was displeased because God had struck Uzzah dead. And so they just took the ark aside into the house for a time. And then a little bit later you see read that David had the priests carry the ark. And they brought the ark to Jerusalem and there was a great celebration. You see, God wasn't pleased with the cart because that was not how the ark was to be transported. They were not to transport that thing on a cart. The priests who were consecrated in the service of the tabernacle were to carry it by staves. They were not to touch it. See, they thought they'd do God's service, but they did it their own way and not God's way. And God judged them for it. It, was, it came to nothing. The whole thing was worthless because it wasn't done according to the command of God. And so we need to labor. You know, we, we should labor so that our labor is pleasing or acceptable or according to the word of God. You know, God told Moses to build a tabernacle after the pattern that I showed thee in the mountain. In other words, Moses, I've given you a blueprint. Just like the tabernacle is in heaven. And you make that tabernacle on earth just like the one I showed you. you know, we, need, we need to, our church needs to be operated according to the commands of God. Not according to what the world wants, but what is pleasing and honoring to our Lord and Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to be judged as servants. And so we have this motivation of fear. Uh, we ought to fear God. And of course, as we think about the unsaved, they're going to be judged at the great white throne judgment and be cast in the lake of fire. And so there's this motivation of fear, again, for the child of God. We're to serve Him out of reverence and godly fear because God is going to make manifest all things, whether our works are good or whether they're worthless. God knows. And then thirdly, there's a motivation of love. Notice verses 13 and 14. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is to your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
So we have a, a motivation of hope. We have a motivation of fear. We also have the motivation of love. Paul says the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constrain means it exerts force or to hold in close, uh, bounds, to confine. And it means to exert force. So, so we could say here, the love of Christ compels us. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains. It compels me. It drives me on. It encourages me. It draws me to serve Him. It draws me in close to Him. It, 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 it makes me want to desire to please Him. You know, love is the greatest motivator there is. John 4, or 1 John 4, that is. And verse 4 says... Um, Ye are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's not really the verse I wanted, but, but uh, you know, it compels us. This love compels us uh, uh, to serve him. Somebody has said this, service, quote, service can never become slavery to one who loves. Of all the human passions, love is the strongest, for it attacks simultaneously the head, the heart, and the senses Unquote. So service, uh, a motivation of love. Love compels. It draws one out. It draws a response. Draws a response. You know, Jacob loved Rachel. And he served for seven years. And the Bible says it seemed a few days for the love that he had for her. You know, the time just passed quickly because of the love. That he had. You know, Paul says again in here, the love of Christ constrained. It compels me on willingly in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution, in the face of ridicule, uh, being called beside myself. You ever called, say, somebody ever say you're out of your mind, you're beside yourself? Uh, But he said it was the love of Christ that compelled him on. That, you know, Festus said to him, much learning doth make thee mad. You're a crazy man. But love. But his burden was, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells us that his burden, what, what the love of Christ compelled him and this is what compelled him is to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. You know, God's love so worked his heart, he wanted to make all men see what he had seen, what he had learned. That, that the mystery of the fellowship, of having fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes you ever feel like, you know, you maybe have family or friends, and you just wish you could make them understand, see and understand what you have experienced in your relationship with God. It's the love of Christ. See, that compels us to these things. And so, and the greater love hath no man than this, they lay down his life for his friends. And, of course, Jesus laid down his life for us. So there's this great love. Uh, You know, the worldview of love is perverted. They say, if you love me, you'll give to me. 
But see, the biblical love says, I give without expecting recompense, without expecting reward. That's what Jesus did. And so, so this is, of course, this is the greatest part of the greatest commandment. We love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor like under ourself. Uh, love is the test of love, of course, is obedience. Uh, John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. You know, have you responded to God's love or are you resisting God's love? Have you been motivated by the hope that we have in him? Have you been motivated by the fact that one day you're going to stand before him and give an account for what you have done in your body? Whether it's good or whether it's worthless. Well, it's bad. You were all going to give an account. And every one of us will give an account of himself. You're not going to be able to point your finger and say, well, you know, this guy over here there and this guy over here and this woman over here and because of that I... No, no, no. Every man will give account of himself to God. You know, I've heard a lot of Children over the years say, well, my parents, okay, well, it's time you grow up and take responsibility for your own actions. You know, when we stand before God, our parents are going to give an account for what they did, but we're going to give an account for what we've done. And we're not going to be able to blame our parents. We're not going to be able to blame the Sunday school teacher. We're not going to be able to blame the pastor. We're going to give an account for what we've heard. What is your relationship with Christ? How is your relationship with Christ? Is it one of love? Paul said, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. He wanted to know him better. He wanted to love him more. He was willing to lay aside his own will. Be all things to all men, that he might all, by all means say some. And so... There is great motivation. We do have, God has given us reasons, you might say, of service, to serve Him. How is your service for the Lord? Are you ready to meet God? Will you meet Him without fear? Without apprehension? Or are you looking forward to His coming? As I mentioned this morning, you know, when we walk in confidence and we walk in, the, walk in the Spirit, we can walk with confidence and assurance, knowing that we've been pleasing to the Lord. And so, as you consider your life this afternoon, are you expecting, are you looking forward to His return? Is your service pleasing in His sight? Let's pray.